Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lo, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. Today, I'm going to do some Q&A. I often say at the end of this podcast that if you have any questions, that you can send me an email. So the first question comes from Jay Wright. Hi, Jay. Jay writes, my specific suggestion would be a podcast about format differences that the same story could take. So for example, let's say I interview a seasoned author who moves here to retire and it's a feature article for a magazine, then she dies and I'm asked to write her eulogy. How would I quickly change the form or format? So that's a hilarious example. However, I understand the purpose of the question and you're looking for some simple distinctions. And I'm actually not going to give you the answer that you're probably looking for, Jay, because I'm going to say a couple of things here. First of all, I don't think that every story works in a different format. In fact, I think that's one of the more difficult things when you're talking about adapting a story from one format into another. For example, something that works well as a play may not work as a movie or may not work as a novel because it is conceived as a play. Certainly, in your example, an article that you write for a magazine about a particular author may or may not translate well to a eulogy. It depends on what content you included in that article. It may not translate well. And I often think that one of the mistakes, actually, that authors make is that they try to adapt things into a bunch of different types of mediums. And the truth is, when I conceive of a story, I usually conceive of it in a particular medium. Now, I've written plays, screenplays, novels, comic books, and articles. And I can tell you that not every single one of the things I've written could have been translated into a different medium. Of the ones that were, it really did radically change the story. So I'm thinking of a play I wrote called Feeling Fat, a little one-act play. It was a great little scene, comedic. It's a sketch. It's really funny. I loved the sketch. And that's how I conceived it and wrote it. Just two characters in it, and it's a really fun piece. So fun, in fact, that when a couple of friends and I decided that we wanted to make our first short film, we chose that to be the project because we thought it would be a really nice thing to make into a short film. But come to find out, it didn't translate well to film as was. We had to radically revise it. And so we did. We created a really lovely little short film. But part of the difference right there between a play and a screenplay is that in the sketch, the characters didn't change. The characters pretty much stayed the same. Now, there was still an arc to the story, but the arc was different in the play. The arc just went through all these emotional experiences that the characters in the play actually were going through. Whereas in the screenplay, what we discovered is that the character needed to change internally. The character needed to actually be different at the end. So the endings of both of those pieces are radically different. Now, I can tell you that there's no way that either one of those would have translated well into, say, a comic book. And really, not even a 
novel because they're too short. There were short pieces, maybe a short story, but even then it would be so much different. Having said that, there is one type of story that tends to translate into other types of forms. And that is a story that is truly action driven. And what I mean by that is that it's a story where a character is doing things. Whenever you have a character who is taking action, then it usually can translate into different types of venues. You could do a comic book or you could do a novel or you could do a play or you could do a screenplay. You could even do an article. But if you have something that is more thought provoking or something that is more internal, it makes it much more difficult to translate it to these other formats. And certainly I am not exhausting all formats. There are so many different ones and you've given two here that I would never have even thought of. For example, you mentioned a eulogy. Well, I can't really speak to that. That's not my area of expertise. So while it is possible to adapt, certain stories into different forms or formats. My best advice is to allow the format to dictate the story in a lot of ways. Instead of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, when you conceive a story in a particular form or format, it changes how that story unfolds. So my advice would be, Instead of trying to take the same story idea and put it in all these different formats, come up with a new story that fits those different formats. You're a storyteller. It's your duty and your privilege to have ideas. So I think that's a better way to go about it rather than trying to fit one idea into a bunch of different formats, which is probably not the answer you were really looking for, but nevertheless, that's my best advice. Okay, let's move on to another question. And ironically, this gentleman's name is Jay also. So this is from Jay Smith. And Jay writes that he has a question about professional etiquette. In general, he wants to know how to navigate a breakdown in communication. And he gave two examples of what he meant. So in example one, He talked about how he had entered a pitch contest and he was honored to have won first place and he was also given a one-on-one phone meeting with one of the judges. And the meeting went great and she gave him lots of excellent advice and suggestions. She loved his concepts. In fact, after his pitch, her first words were, I'm actually angry, I can't go home tonight and watch this show. So that's a really, really good response. Now, at the end of that meeting, she gave him her email address and said that if he wanted to send her the pilot script, she would be interested in reading it. Needless to say, he emailed her, thanked her for the time, and sent a link to the PDF of the script. He also mentioned that if she would prefer receiving a hard copy to let him know. And then he received no reply. Nothing. So after four or five weeks with no response, he followed up with a paper copy of the script with a thank you card since she had asked to read it and he still got no response. Now what Jay had said was he certainly wasn't expecting her to drop everything and read the script. He just thought that she would at least acknowledge that it had been received and that it would be added to her pile to read. So he asked me if he was wrong. 
He also recognized that she is very busy and certainly doesn't owe him anything, so he's not asking these questions out of a sense of entitlement. But since she was the one who asked if she could read it, he began to wonder, did she read the script and lose interest and just not have the heart to tell him? Or was she not really serious in the first place? And if so, why did she ask to see it? Or did his email go into her spam filter unread and perhaps an assistant unaware of the conversation assumed it was unsolicited and pitched it without her even knowing it was sent? Maybe she thinks that he's the one who dropped the ball and didn't bother following up. And now eight months have passed and he wanted to know if he should reach out again and run the risk of making a pest of himself. Or should he just let it go and risk wasting a potentially good opportunity? This is an excellent question. And it's really, really tricky to navigate these types of things. Well, anybody who has been in this business for long knows that these types of situations arise. And we all struggle with the professional etiquette of how to navigate these types of situations. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to give some basic advice. Now, the advice that I'm about to give will not apply in every single circumstance. These are general principles though that may help you to figure out how to navigate your own particular situation. So first of all, you never know why someone hasn't responded. You don't know if they were just blowing smoke. You don't know if they are too busy or you don't know if the inquiry fell through the cracks. Who knows? It's not your job to try to determine that. Rather, you want to err on the side of taking them at their word. If a person expressed interest, assume that that person is telling the truth. And then every so often you want to send that person a follow-up email reminding that person of your conversation and expressing interest in taking her or him up on the offer. Now, I don't know what is an appropriate every so often, but I would say probably every five or six weeks, maybe every eight weeks. It just depends on the situation. You have to use your common sense. But the key here is that generally speaking, people in this business don't say they're interested if they're really not. I mean, there are some people I suppose that would, but most of these people out there are professionals who just don't even have time to navigate your feelings. So they're not afraid to say, I'm not interested, but thank you. And if they are afraid, they should probably go into a different business. So that means you should take them at their word and assume that they really are interested. Number two, I would avoid sending hard copies of anything via mail, even thank you cards. For one, these types of things feel more stalkery and desperate these days. For two, it costs you money. Now, if it's a friend or a contact or somebody that did you a solid, someone who referred you to a nice job or a potential job, that's different. That's a friendship thing. But if it's a stranger that you just met, it's a weird thing. Thank you cards these days feel a little desperate. That's why you want to send some sort of thank you email. But generally speaking, you don't want to spend any money until the contact specifically asks you to send a hard copy of your script or manuscript. Furthermore, don't send the script again, even via link, unless or until you hear back from the person. 
Instead, just send an email every 10 or 12 weeks or so to check back in and see if now might be a good time for the two of you to connect. Number three, I want to say a couple things about the way you should characterize or frame your conversation in the email. A, you don't want to come across as needy or as a beggar. You want to present yourself as a peer who may have something that benefits the other person. So you are doing them a favor as much as they would be doing you one. You have to remember as the artist, you are the prize. You are the prize. And we have to start behaving that way. When we are creatives and we have a great idea, the powers that be want that idea. They can't do anything without our ideas. All too often as creatives, we end up couching ourselves in this one up, one down situation where we're in the down situation. We think of ourselves as being beggars instead of choosers. But we need to realize we are the prize. They want what we have. They can't do their job unless they have it. And if you have a solution, it changes the dialogue. Now we're not, oh, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. Now you're on their level and you're approaching them more like a peer. We're saying, hey, great. I'm glad you're taking a look. If it fits your needs, great. Let me know. I'd love to be of service. But saying it like that sounds much different. It doesn't sound desperate. That said, B, you can't actually say I'm the prize and you certainly don't want to come across as cocky or arrogant or too puffed up for them to do business with. So it's a difficult balance to find. So C, my advice is to be sure to have an update of your own to include each time you write. This justifies a follow-up. It makes it legitimate as to why you're sending a new email. So for example, if there was somebody in the business that I was hoping to hear back from and I had not yet heard from them, I might send a follow-up email saying, hey, I just got back from this writer's conference. It reminded me of our discussion. I'd love to chat with you if you have a time. And if not, I just wanted to check in. Something like that. So having an update of your own justifies the follow-up. If a person thinks that you are only sending something to get them to read the script and you have nothing to offer besides that and there's nothing else going on in your life except waiting around for them to get back to you, it's going to be a turnoff. That person will smell your desperation. So you want to have an update of your own. People want to do business with people that have things going on. Number four, the update could be any number of things as long as it relates to your professional life. No one cares if you spent two weeks on vacation in Cabo. It needs to be something related to your professional progression. For example, you've had this new success or that one, or you won this contest or something that shows that you're still working hard to improve your craft. You've taken a new class or had your script evaluated by a professional writing coach, things of that nature. That shows someone that has a strong work ethic who continues to work hard to improve his or her skills and their product. Now, This is important because most people might feel that that makes you look like an amateur if you include that you took this professional class, but that actually isn't the case. It's something that people like me love to see. 
And sharing this has the double advantage of showing humility, which is always a bonus. Number five, another way to engage someone is to seek their advice. This may sound counterintuitive when you're dealing with a business executive rather than a coach like me, but the truth is people love to be able to share what they've learned and it's flattering to be sought out for advice. The key is to be genuine and authentic and approach them with a question that you genuinely want answered and that you think that they will have a good answer for. Because the last thing you want to do is make up something just so you have something to ask them. You don't want to waste anyone's time. But these are some things to consider when you're composing your follow-up email. Number six, the last thing I will mention here is that there is no one right protocol or etiquette to follow. There are no rules. Everybody's making this up as we go along. But generally speaking, it's appropriate to think outside of the box. In this business, there is such a thing as being too much of a rule follower or being too polite. We need to be bold and we need to be willing to break rules, but not in a way that causes us to subvert our professionalism. It needs to affirm our professionalism and not shatter it. So no tracking people down in person or showing up at their house. That's creepy. And I would also avoid phone calls as this feels intrusive and pushy. But in my experience, it's true that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Well-crafted, thoughtful, and respectful email follow-ups are non-offensive and non-demanding. Too many people send out one or two, maybe three, and then when they don't hear back, they stop. I recommend you don't stop until after the sixth or seventh inquiry or so, maybe even the tenth. The key is to space the inquiries out so that it's clear that things have been happening in the meantime and that the person you're contacting is by no means the only person in your arsenal. After six inquiries, I would be surprised if you haven't heard back. If you don't hear back by number seven or eight, maybe move on for your own sake or maybe move on for six, eight months and then try back again because it's time to put that energy elsewhere. You don't want anyone else to waste your time. This is just arrogant on their part. And you wouldn't want to work with them in any case at that point. But don't assume this until you get to inquiry number seven or eight. The fact is people are busy. I rarely follow up with people or follow through on something if the person who asked doesn't bug me a few times. But if they are bugging me politely, respectfully, I will eventually put that issue on the top of my pile. So just keep pressing until it becomes a waste of your time. I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. And if you have more questions, I again want to encourage you to send them to me or better yet, leave me a voicemail. And you can do both of those things on the website. You can send me an email to Zena at thestorytellersmission.com. You can also go to the podcast page and leave a voicemail right there on the website. I can actually take the recording and put it in the podcast so people don't just have to listen to my voice the whole time. I would love that. If you have questions, please, please keep them coming. Thank you to Jay Wright and Jay Smith. I appreciate your questions, gentlemen. I hope that these answers were helpful to you and to everybody else who listened. Thank you again for listening to The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.